0: Like, uh, this semester, and I think this is our, like, we've made some real headway in the Gospel of John. I think we just have a couple more passages to look at this semester after this one tonight. And uh, what we're looking at, what we've seen so far in this series that we're calling Who is the Real Jesus, is we've seen Jesus introduce himself uh, by performing miracles that show who he is, Uh, sometimes actually saying things like, I am the good shepherd or I am the vine. And at the same time, we've been seeing him kind of progressing toward that time where he will be arrested and killed. And the last couple of weeks we've been looking at specifically his last night with his disciples, Uh, the night that he's going to be arrested and we're going to pick that up uh, from there tonight with this, this five-verse short passage from John 17. There is a self-defense class happening over there, I think, which is why women are yelling no. So uh, it's a good thing. I'm glad they're doing that, but hopefully it won't be too distracting. Um, but yeah, if you hear people yelling no, 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 that I think is why. Uh, okay. John 17, we're just going to look at the first five verses. Um, This is Jesus actually praying in front of his disciples. So uh, he's wrapping up his last last evening with them. He's given them some last words. He's been telling them a little of what to expect uh, in the days to come. And he finishes by praying. And these five verses are just the beginning of his prayer. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come now to your word, would you guide us? Would you apply it to our hearts? Would you nourish our souls with it? We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. There it is. Um, Okay, so I wonder... If you've ever done this, the following happens. You're sitting somewhere wearing earbuds or headphones, and it's in a place where there's other people maybe sitting and talking, and whatever you're listening to ends, and you begin to listen to the conversation of someone nearby with them thinking you're listening to music and cannot hear them, but you can hear them, and you listen in on their conversation. A lot of us have probably done this in some form or fashion. And it's fascinating to do, right? Like, it's really, it's exciting because you're privy to something that you're not supposed to be privy to. And it's exciting, too, because something like that gives us an insight into who people really are. Uh, We get to know who people really are. Uh, when we hear, or we get to get insight into someone's relationship when we get to hear them without them knowing that we're hearing them, right? It's the same reason that expression like, oh, if I could be a fly on the wall in this situation or among those people, and it's because you get to know who someone really is when they don't know you're there, or when you get to listen in to an intimate conversation that you wouldn't normally get to be a part of. You could hang around me and my wife Maggie all the time, and you would get to know us pretty well. But you wouldn't really know what our relationship was like unless you happened to listen in on a conversation that we thought we were just having between the two of us, right? You would know us a lot. You would know a lot more specifically about our relationship if you could hear us without us knowing that you were listening in. And in the Bible, Jesus talks to the Father a lot god the father and then there's a lot of places in the gospels where it says and then jesus went off alone to pray and we don't really get any more information than that like we don't know how it went how jesus talked to god but here in this passage jesus purposely allows his disciples and eventually us to listen in on a conversation between him and the father And why does he do that? Uh, He does it because he's about to die. He's about to be arrested. He knows that if that and when that happens, his followers will scatter. He knows that it's about to get really hard to be a disciple. It's about to get really hard to be a Christian. And so Jesus closes his time with his disciples by saying, do you want to know why it's worth it? Listen to this. Listen to what it's like. To be truly in relationship with god and then he prays and it's his way of like trying to draw his disciples in and try to draw us in he wants us to feel like we belong with god uh, there's a uh, book called the secret thoughts of an unlikely convert it's the story of this woman named rosaria butterfield who she considers it's called an the unlikely convert like she calls herself that because she seems At the beginning of her story, so, 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 so far away from becoming a Christian, she's very antagonistic toward Christianity, and she's an academic, and she's uh, very critical of Christian movements, and she actually at one point writes an article critiquing a specific Christian movement, and uh, she noticed that she got a lot of hate mail, like mail criticizing her work, Uh, but there was one piece uh, of mail that she got in response to her article from a Christian that was different, and it was from a pastor and he actually was wanting to like engage her in conversation and so she was like sure and she ends up going to his house and uh, she says that what made all the difference for her she becomes a Christian shortly after this is listening like she went to their house for a meal and they prayed before they ate and they prayed like God was real and that they had a real relationship with this God and that struck her and she was like okay, there's something here. Like, and that's what drew her in. And so the question for us is, as we think about this prayer and this passage, is what will draw us in? Or what will keep us in? What will secure these disciples that are sitting with Jesus as leaders of Jesus' church? And what will keep us on this path of trying to follow Jesus? Uh, what does Jesus show us here in this prayer? And what he shows us in a word is glory. The word glory or glorify is in this passage, five, you know, five verses, and it's five times mentioned. And so I want us to look at this idea that Jesus shows his disciples glory here. And first of all, I want to think about what, it, what glory even is. And then I want us to think about how Jesus shows them glory. And Finally, I want us to think about how we can show God's glory to the world around us. So first of all, what is glory? And in the Bible, the word glory, it's translated originally from Hebrew, and it's a Hebrew word that literally means weightiness. It means it matters, like it has weight. And today we might say something like, oh, this is big, right? Like it's a similar concept. Or this changes everything. And I want you to think about what some examples of glory might be today that we might encounter um, and it might be something breathtaking that we see, right? Something beautiful, something important that we get to witness. Uh, I think about the things that people share frequently on social media. You know, like, if there's a rainbow out, you can, like, guarantee that, like, 30 people you know have, like, snapped a photo of it and put it on Facebook, right? Because rainbows are amazing. Like, it's actually worth, like, no one says, like, why did you post that rainbow pic? Because it's like... <laughs> rainbows are awesome like I want to see that or uh, a sunset right people post sunset pics all the time and it's just like that is cool like thank you for sharing Uh, mountain views amazing meals all these like why do we want why do we see these things and want to share them glory it's because these are things that matter these are things that have weight I think of my own, the the birth of my children as a glorious moment, right? The moment uh, when you get to see a new life enter the world, and you know, there's just, you feel the weight of the moment, like this is a new life, I'm going to be the parent of this kid. Uh, There's a lot of weight that you feel. And uh, when Jesus begins his prayer, he says, Father, the hour has come. And the, the hour has come means... He's about to die. Like, that's what he's talking The hour of my death has come. And he says, Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. In other words, he says, Father, glorify me, so I can glorify you, so that they can have eternal life. And if glory means weightiness, I want you to think, what does it mean to glorify something? Right? It means to show the weightiness. Uh, show how much this matters, is what Jesus prays. And he's praying that his people would see this significance, his, his significance, that they would see his weight, uh, because the Father gave him authority to give eternal life. Think about that for a sec. There is someone who has the authority to give you eternal life and it is Jesus. And the way it works is this, you can't have eternal life until you see his glory. Like if you don't see his glory, you won't take it. And so Jesus is so great that Jesus has done something him that has done something that enables him to give eternal life. And he's asking that the Father would glorify him so that he could actually do that. Uh, How was the prayer answered? Like, Jesus prayed this prayer. How was it answered? Well, it began that night when he was arrested. And it continued the next day as he went on to die as our substitute. And it continued a couple days later as he rose again from the dead. And to be a Christian, you need to see that Jesus is great and glorious, that he's done something that needed to be done to be able to give eternal life. Uh, it's something that you see and it changes you in this life now. Like, he gives eternal life for eternity, but eternal life changes you now. It begins now as we see and are changed by the glory of Jesus. I wonder, are you seeing it this week? Are you seeing the glory of Jesus this week? And if you're not, where, what has drawn your focus? What has drawn your focus away from him that is obstructing your view of Jesus Christ and his glory? So that's glory. That's what glory is. But I want us to think here about how Jesus shows us God's glory. Uh, And, you know, you could think about that in human terms, right? How could a son or a child show glory? uh, Like, how could it do that for a parent, right? Right? Uh, How could an earthly son do this for an earthly father? Probably not by doing something really easy, right? Like, you show glory, parents are most proud of their children when they do something that's outstanding and difficult, right? Uh, I have a son. His name is Asher. He's one and a half now, uh, 20 months old, actually. And, uh, you know, it's just so fun being a parent and see your kid learn new things. And right now, Asher is learning to talk gradually and uh he stumbles through words and the other like uh he knows some names of food and the way he says soup is like oop and the other night uh we had some of that if you were at our Halloween party we had this like cheese dip and some chips and we had some of that left over, so we were eating it and Asher was like he was like oop, at the dip and we were like you know Maggie was like no that's dip can you say dip and like you know when a kid's learning to say a word it's like trying really hard to like form the sounds and and he goes dip and we're just like yeah (laughs) right we're just like that was awesome yeah clap you know and just like okay imagine if this imagine how proud we would be if he like went on to like cure cancer or something like that you know like if we're just like doing that over the word dip you know um, the more he does, the more challenges he takes on, the more uh, we'll experience that pride in being his parent, right? So uh, how does Jesus do this? Like, what does Jesus do that glorifies his father? Uh, it's by the way he goes to the cross in order to die for those the father has given him. Uh, so that's in verse two there, right? It's the father has given him a people to die for. And to make that happen, Jesus will have to experience a kind of God forsakenness that only enemies of God should ever have to face. And on the cross, he prays a different prayer. Do you know the prayer he prays on the cross? Contrast that with this prayer of intimacy. On the cross, he prays, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it's this picture of Jesus' Uh, taking on the weight of sin and what it's like to be a sinner as he dies. Uh, To truly see the glory of God, we need to step back and see that big picture. Uh, We need to focus on verse 5 here. Um, Jesus is talking in verse 5 about the glory he had before the world existed with the Father. Uh, What Jesus is getting at is that God in himself is a relationship, like we talk about the trinity today and uh, father son and holy spirit and it's this picture of glory it's this relationship that has always existed uh, since the dawn of time and god has been a relationship uh, this perfect relationship this great relationship of uh, mutual giving and mutual love uh, since eternity and it's amazing, and we get glimpses of it even here in the way that Jesus talks to his Father and how perfect that is. And so the question, I wonder if you've ever thought about this, is if he had that, why would he make us? Or another way to ask that is, why is there something rather than nothing? Why did God, why did this God who is three in one, who is perfectly sufficient within himself... Uh, create in the first place? And you might say, well, maybe he was bored. Nope. He was in a perfect relationship. You know, maybe they needed something. No, they didn't need, they had everything. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit had everything forever. And so why did he do it? The the reason, what makes God the most glorious is that even though he had everything, even though he lacks nothing, he said, you know, I'd really like to bring Lucas into what we have. I really want to bring Rachel in. I really want to bring Melissa in, Dylan in, right? That's what we mean, like, it's like, this is great, but what would be better? That, to bring them in. And so what what that's going to take, though, and what makes God even more glorious is to do that, this, the Trinity, is going to have to get ripped apart. And he says, even if that happens, it'll be worth it to me to have them. No cost is too great. And so on the cross, Jesus is, God is torn apart. And that is what glory is. That's a picture of glory. The most glorious thing about God is he wants to share his glory with us. He wants to bring us in at infinite cost. To be brought in, you need to see the glory of that. It's the most glorious thing there is. That's how Jesus shows us God's glory. But I want us to think about how we can show God's glory to the world around us. Uh, We can show God's glory to the world by joining him on his mission to bring in, to bring people in. That's how we show the glory. We need to see that who God is is someone who brings people in. And for you and me, that's kind of a problem because that's not exactly who we are naturally, right? Like if I'm honest, what I want is like a nice cozy world where it's like my family and friends primarily around me and I'm like sitting by a fire drinking a warm beverage and telling inside jokes that I don't have to explain to anyone because everyone already knows and just kind of be comfortable forever, like, that's kind of where I naturally go. And that's kind of where the religious leaders that Jesus had so much conflict with naturally went to, right? They were about keeping people out. And that's why they conflicted with Jesus so much, because Jesus is God, and God is about bringing people in. I wonder, what is it for you? Like, what is the set of circumstances that you kind of want to live to surround yourself with that keeps people out? You know, maybe it's something like, you know, focusing on the future, like focusing on the grades you need to get to get the job that you get to get comfortable in life or uh, the family you can surround yourself with or, you know, all those things that you can do so that you can go on the vacations with the people you want to be with so that you can have it all. And what you need to see is that the glory of God will get in the way of all of that stuff. Because all that stuff is just like a raindrop compared to the ocean of God's glory that God will bring you into. I have a friend, his name is Brian, a good friend of mine. He, Brian's like 10 years older than me, I think. He's in his 40s. And Brian had it all. Uh, Brian is a clinical psychologist, uh, so he got a Ph.D., Takes a lot of work to get a PhD in clinical psychology then uh, he got uh, a job as a professor on the faculty at a major university he worked his butt off to get tenure you guys know what tenure is it's like tenure is the best that's what you like live your life for if you're a professor because if you have tenure like you basically can't be fired unless you like kill someone like you can't like it's it's, just, it's what these guys live for because it takes so much work to get there and then you get the security of being in a field that you're an expert in and you have this job security and then Brian became a Christian and he thought, man, this really just changes everything for me. In other words, he saw the glory of God being ripped apart to bring people in. And he decided to devote his life to becoming a pastor and starting a church. And his colleagues were like, are you insane? (laughs) Like all these people that have like side by side with him been like working their tails off to get to this point of arrival. And they were just like, are you insane? Then so he goes, I met him as a grad student in seminary together and uh, he goes into church planting, and he moves to Boston, which is a really difficult place to plant a church. And you have to like, raise like, millions of dollars to do this work, to start a church. And he's been at it for a while, and it's been really hard. Like It's not easy. And actually, I visited his church not that long ago, and... Uh, you know, praise God, He's like gathered some people, but it's not, you know, it's not a big group. And when I got there, like a kid had thrown up on the floor right before, and like the heating was off, and this they meet in like a gymnasium of a school, and you know, like you're just kind of like, man, you traded all that for this, and Jesus would look at that gymnasium and he would be like, glory this is glory people who were far away from God being brought in into the best relationship that there ever was and so God is asking us to forego our, our idea of glory for his idea of glory which happens to be eternal uh, how can you become someone who delights to bring people in How can you become someone who delights in giving instead of taking? How can you become someone who will let your little cozy world kind of come crumbling apart for the glory of God? The simple answer is we need to see the glory of Jesus. And it's everywhere in this passage, really, but the big picture is this. What are Jesus and the Father ultimately talking about here? they are talking about us. Think about that. Jesus is about to die in the most horrible way. Like, shouldn't Jesus be saying, Father, comfort me in this time. And instead, they're just thinking about you and me. Jesus is saying, like, Father, help me because I love them so much. Your father, the Father is saying, I will help you because I love them so much. And they're saying this about us. People like us who don't get it. People like us who fail and sin and people like us who like are like the glory we seek after is just like dirt compared to God's glory and the glory that he offers and yet when the father and the son have a moment together they're just like ah I love them let's get them let's bring them back and if you see how glorious that is then you'll start to live for the glory of God Uh, You'll want God to look good so you'll invite people in to your life and into your community. You'll want God to look good so you'll give stuff away instead of hoarding your stuff. You'll want God to look good so your cozy little life won't really mean anything to you. And the glory of God will mean everything. Uh, That's what we need. We need that to be truly human, to be ourselves again. And so... Uh, I'll, I'll just close by praying that God would work that glory into our lives tonight. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, show us your glory. Uh, for many of us, it is, we are bogged down. And uh, there is much that is kind of shielding your glory. Uh, just the glory of a God who would come to die for the likes of us. Uh, We pray that that would be our story. Uh, We pray that uh, more and more we would live for your glory. We would live to extend it out. That we would join you on this mission. That we would join you uh, in the glorious relationship, uh, the glorious uh, relationship of the Trinity, Lord. Draw us in, we pray, in Christ's name. Amen.